All right, Jeff. Pat Young Pratt. Amazing session. What'd you think? Well, to to our point, because you and I were talking offline, is that can you imagine a more relevant topic? Right? Can you imagine a more a, a topic as sometimes as scary and seemingly complicated as AI? I can't, and yet it is right there for us to learn about and consider and so forth. So having somebody who's been on the front lines like Pat with us, that that was awesome. And I'm hoping, Chris, that that's the first of other conversations on this topic. Whether we invite Pat back, which I hope we do, but also future guests, we have to help leaders learn about this, don't you think? Absolutely. It's an untapped resource source. I think I think a lot of those educators are looking at uh, AI as, uh, you know, is this how kids are going to help, you know, cheat on their papers, you know, this going to write the paper for them or like that. But it could be so much more than that. And I think with experts like Pat, you know, they can really show these educators, you know, what's what's how you can really enhance the classroom, you know, not hinder it. So I love it. And so I mean, so guests, leader, you know, listeners, I want you to know that this that that was a great conversation you're, you're about to listen to a great conversation that we had with pat and to be to be quite clear um the ceo of um of uh, uh excuse me code.org we had somebody approach him and say hey listen we want to talk to you about about ai and it, it was him uh hadi partovi partovi i think i said that correctly he said well you know who you have to talk to you have to talk to pat and so we were so delighted to have him. You're going to love this conversation. And to yeah, Chris's point, more to come, more to come. So everyone enjoy. Um, this is this is fun and super interesting. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, and leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. I am Jeff Rose, and to be really honest, this is the this is the first recording in 2024. We have aired a Leader Chat uh, over the last couple of weeks, but that was recorded in um, you know late last year, and so this is the first one, and it makes a great deal of sense uh, that why we're using this kind of launch pad of 2024 to talk about this really important topic. We've only broached on what we're going to go in depth with today, which is AI. You know, we've talked about innovations in school districts and schools and the classrooms a little bit, but we have never gone very deep with AI, and it has been this um, interest of mine. And so um, this is probably uh, the most pristine way for us to kind of talk about it because we're bringing on some, some incredible expertise. And so without further ado, the concept here is how we move from fear and denial of AI, which by the way, that there is, to embracing and leading it. And so with us, we have uh, Pat Young Pratchett, and he is the Chief Academic Officer for Code.org, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting computer science education, a leader of Teach AI, an initiative to guide educational leaders and policymakers in transforming education on the, in the age of AI. As an international voice on computer science education, Pat has influenced each stage of the education system from policy to practice 
in the legislature and in the classroom. During his career as a computer science teacher, he inspired students to create games and apps for social causes and brought in participation among underrepresented groups. He led the development of the K-12 computer science framework. He was featured in the book American Teacher, Heroes in the Classroom, was recognized as a Microsoft Worldwide Innovative Educator, and has been certified in biology, physics, math, health and technology education. So right away, I'm a bit intimidated, but he and I had, has ha have had an opportunity to chat and uh, I've been researching and uh, kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe stalking him just a little bit. And I am really excited for this discussion. So without further ado, I'll invite Pat to the screen. Pat, thanks for coming today. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. You know, I just gave like your bio, which is this. In fact, it's always uncomfortable reading somebody's bio. It's probably more uncomfortable um, listening to it. So maybe you could just kind of walk our, our audience and our listeners through you. You know, kind of you've had this extensive uh, educational career thus far. So maybe just walk us through your transitions and maybe what led to those transitions and, you know, what brings us here today. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jeff. Um... Let's see, where to start? I'll start with um, the fact that I never intended to go into education. Um, I was in high school and I um, was gonna, uh, I was going to college and I was thinking, what would I major in? I, I thought neurobiology because I enjoyed biology. I enjoyed psychology. Why not mush them together? It's a, it's a science. So I guess that's kind of what I should be doing, especially if I liked it. So I started studying neurobio at McGill University. I volunteered in a special education tutoring opportunity uh, in a nearby high school, loved that type of interaction, immediately wanted to quit my degree and start a whole new fresh degree. My parents talked me out of it and said, hey, how about you just finish your science degree and then you can get a master's in education. That was really good advice. So I did that, got a master's in education. And actually, even in between the master's education and undergrad, I got a, um, I, I did some special education uh, teaching assistance. Uh, and so, you know, right out of master, my master's in ed, I, I taught for 13 years, and now I've been at Code.org for 10 years. And what drives me is the opportunity to uh, create change at scale, both at the like individual level, because scale could just be like there their life, their kids' lives, et cetera, or scale, as most people know it, just number of people impacted. So it seems like then over over kind of your, your time in the classroom, the steps that you've taken, you know, since then are just really around expanding your sphere of influence, right? Which clearly you have you have accomplished. But I guess I'm curious, your, your parents, did, did they get over it? And are they okay with you being in education? Or, or were they trying to be pragmatic at the time and thinking, listen, there's another way to go, Pat? They're being pragmatic. They have come around. Luckily, I'm 45 years old now. They have come <laughs> around. I think I've done uh, good things per my career. So they're proud of that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was tough at the beginning. Uh, and, you know, for many, many years, they hounded me and they wanted me to get a, an MD or a PhD or, or something like that. Um, but I just wanted to teach kids. So so then as a, as a base, before we kind of really start jumping into the, the, the topic at hand, tell us, tell us about Code.org, right? And obviously, 
you know what it what it was it's 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 changed and and morphed and grown and expanded across the world but maybe just give us a better understanding of uh of the work as well as the as well as the intent yeah co.org is um now that i've been in the nonprofit space for 10 years i can say that co.org's approach to our work is um special and so let me focus on how it's special um Whereas we might be known for our uh, computer science curriculum and platform and coding environment and videos and and even the Hour of Code, uh, one of the world's largest educational campaigns now for like 11 years, um, that's actually, all that is just a means to an end. And the end is our mission. Um, every student in every school having the opportunity to learn computer science. And so we we don't do that as just like an end in itself we we do that as a strategy um, uh teamed up with multiple other strategies so people don't know that we have actually a, a quite an extensive government affairs practice uh mostly uh working at the state level but also the federal level and we've helped uh pass bills that support computer science in all 50 states and over you know 150 200 bills over the last 10 years um we we also do a lot of just uh general awareness work uh capacity building at the org level and the edu education leadership level technical assistance for education agencies both district and state and then ministries of education outside the us um and um and then a lot of community building as well where you know, we have over 200 uh, partners, both inside the U.S. and outside the U.S., doing things ranging from teaching, uh, training teachers, creating curriculum, translating curriculum, to even engaging with their governments and their policymakers. So it's really a movement. Create it. it you know, we 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 view ourselves as movement creators, leaders, and sustainers. You know, I've I've had the the chance to you know sleuth you and and uh, and, and watch a variety of, of times you've talked, and as I have also with um, the CEO, um, and I got to say his name, Hadi Petrovi. Uh, Petrovi. Okay, yep. thank you. Um, and you know, you, you both just do an excellent job describing uh, kind, of, kind of the birth of, but also the 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 progression and you know direction and the intent. And so um, I'm curious, though, you've been there 10 years, is that right? 10 years, yeah. Ten so over years. 10 years, I'm trying to think in my head the, the dramatic changes from, of course, computer science and making sure, really trying to um, ensure that all of our students have an opportunity to learn and potentially excel in that environment. But then now this birth of this innovation and, of course, you know, teach AI. Maybe you could talk about what that's been like and your role in that, because clearly you have a major leadership role in teach in teach AI. And uh, I, I, I would love to hear that narrative a bit. Um, I was just talking about this with an intern that I have on my team right now. Um, now, as she she asked me how I was doing today, and I said I'm doing great because there are some pretty exciting things that I uh fortunate to have as opportunities um i can't get into those specific ideas uh, opportunities right now but i can 
tell you that at code.org, what has sustained me here is the support that we get from outside the organization. We're not always pushing an agenda that other people don't want to hear about. They do want to hear about, they do want to support it. And because of that, they're coming to us with opportunities. And uh, it goes all the way back to, you know, uh, I think about one of the earliest, I mean, there was the reception of the initial hour of code. Uh, sorry, there was the reception of the initial code.org video, which was number one on YouTube for a day. Uh, and even before that, there was the reception of the idea of creating a video and having people like Will I Am and Chris Bosch and Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and all these other people participate in that video. And then there was the reception of the video. And then there was uh, moving forward, the reception of our curriculum, the hour of code idea. We were shooting for just 1 million students the first year. We got 10 million and we got an international following, which we didn't even really push for. And then, you know, quickly after that, like uh, from the even the White House level and President Obama, you know, the support from there and wanting to do an hour of code in the White House. And I was in a room with President Obama and the then Vice President uh, Joe Biden at the same time. And, and how that kind of support from international leaders and, and political leaders has continued. Um, that, that has really, uh, those kinds of things have really painted the trajectory of code.org because of all these different opportunities that we get to engage in. So, so then, you know, teach AI, right? And so there was clearly a very specific intent of, um, you know, creating momentum in this area. It sounds like that has been, that's kind of been the, the tool or um, the, the strategy to do so. Can you, can you, can you lead us through that a little bit? Yeah. So Teach AI um, is an initiative led by Code.org, ETS, ISTE, Khan Academy, and the World Economic Forum. It's a global initiative and it's, it's meant to guide education leaders and policymakers per teaching with AI which is where most of the conversation is these days, but also teaching about AI, because uh, the better you can understand how it works, the better you can make decisions about it that has societal impacts. And we do work in um, uh, policy development, um, awareness building, uh, capacity building and community building. And we have different projects connected to all of those things. We actually released our first thing uh, in October, and it was the AI Guidance for Schools Toolkit. Anyone listening to this, if you want to create guidance, whether you are a district leader or a state leader or a regional leader, uh, you can use that toolkit to actually create the guidance. It's not a report. It's not just about learning. It's about doing. And the doing is creating AI guidance. Um, and so we have a multiple other projects as well. What's really special, Jeff, is that we have state education agencies and ministries of education as part of the work groups so that they're not just recipients of guidance made by some folks in an ivory tower. They are actually part of it so that they can um, make sure that it's actually useful for them in the end. You know, when we were talking, preparing for this conversation, I was a bit surprised by that, Pat, that there's there's been such a co collaborative effort. I think I had made an assumption, an incorrect assumption, that that effort would end up being, um, that there would be certain entities that would really shy away from that, especially even uh, governmental agencies. And 
I also assume that there would be more of a competitive environment as opposed to a collaborative one. So um, maybe you can talk to us. I, I don't know if that was your assumption from the beginning, like we would all be working together on this, or did you think this was going to be more kind of a, a dog-eat-dog kind of concept on rolling out and promoting and taking advantage of what AI can do for education? Yeah, so what you're referencing, Jeff, is... Um you know, well, one aspect, uh, one thing that you're referencing is the fact that we have groups like Microsoft, OpenAI, Google, Meta, Amazon, Cisco. I could I could go on and on as part of the advisor committee for TJI. So yeah, how that's do you right. Get, <laughs> how, how do you get frenemies or like competitors to work together towards the good of AI in education? Um, mostly because we're not dealing with product people in these organizations. We're dealing with people who are who legitimately i mean they, they they want to promote their brand's image they want to they have certain products that they want to put in front of people but ultimately like their ultimate goal is like the betterment i hate to say this it sounds cliche but this is my experience with them and i'm a teacher i'm not coming from ed tech or something like that that's my experience with them that's my truth they, these folks really want good for education and so because of that and uh, they want to engage in conversations with their frenemies. They also want to get together with ed orgs and understand what they're about, what they're uh, what they're thinking, and they want to provide their support so that the like in the end, students and teachers benefit. That's that's ultimately what it comes out to. They have the same questions as well, so a lot of these folks don't even feel like they're experts, and they want to understand more. So being part of a a big group that's learning together is appealing to them. Uh, and then lastly, you know, they, they actually want to do something. And so they know that TJI will actually create things and make things happen and engage with the ultimate people that they want to engage with. So they want to be part of that party. You know, I, w I was also intrigued and actually really impressed, you know, hearing you talk about the variety of not just not just entities, but also layers involved in this work. I mean, so if you ask the, the typical person about what do you think of when you consider school, they always go straight to the classroom. Sometimes they'll think of a school bus, but they think of their school. They sometimes forget that the school is part of a larger system such as a district or an organization or, you know, what the, the ties to the state or federal government may be. So there are there's so many layers and lots of politics between the school and kind of what happens there. So, but you, through this work, have kind of rallied the troops, so to speak. So maybe you can talk about not just how these really impressive um, entities and brands have come together, but also these critical components if we're going to have an impact you can't just rely on kind of one chord you have to consider all of them so what has been the strategy and and, and progress there it just sounds like there there's been a lot yeah and i'm going to think about your audience as well because i know that a lot of uh, education leaders listen um to your podcast um and, and before I get into your to answering your question, I, I want to call out just a couple other stakeholder groups that are part of the advisor committee, so people understand how uh, broad this is. So there, there's the alphabet soup of ed orgs in the U.S. Um, NSBA, NASB, COSBA, AASA, CCSO, CCSSO. There are ed policy orgs like Excel in Ed or uh, Education Commission of the States. 
all those folks are part of this. NEA, AFT are part of TJI, um, NCTM, National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, et cetera, et cetera. So, so how, what's the strategy for keeping these people together and bring them together? I mean, uh, I would say part of it is our, uh, our, I mean, ultimately it comes down to our values, which I put on the TJI website, the values like agility and being responsive to feedback, but also values like seeking and sharing diverse and multifaceted perspectives. For example, not all the advisory committee folks um, have the same opinions about AI. Some of them are still forming their opinions. And uh, we value that and we listen to it and we reflect it in the events that we hold. We reflect it in the uh, resources we put out where we talk about both the benefits and the risks and how to mitigate the risks. Um, I'm very honest about my fears. I know this podcast has a... Is the, the title is Fear and Denial, Moving Towards Embracing and Leading. Hey, folks, guess what? I spend, I'm an AI enthusiast, but I have some very legitimate fears. And I was talking about these fears with an academic yesterday, and she was like, oh, man, you sound really gloomy, Pat. And you're <laughs> supposed to be the AI enthusiast? I'm like, I'm like, but you know what? I'm really gloomy but, or pessimistic, but I'm going to fight with everything I have to make sure that that potential future is not a future that our kids have to deal with. Um, so the strat that's the strategy. I would say another little strategy tidbit for your ed leaders are, you know, don't think about brand as much. Like I'm not trying to brand teach AI. So I'm not forcing people to put logos on anything. You won't even see, you'll, you'll see logos of the funders, but you won't see logos of all the orgs, uh, on teach AI. I'm not forcing people to put up press releases about being members of teach AI or anything like that because I I'm focused on the good. And when you're focused on the good, and you have values that are clear and reflected in your processes and products. People want to. People want to engage, and and people who are frenemies and competitors will want to engage. So I don't, I'm not I'm not trying to pull out or or yank on these fears or you know drag you into a, a, the a, the negative, but. I, I heard I heard you mention in in a podcast, and I've I've been guilty of this uh, during during COVID. I remember thinking about um, opportunities for change, and I remember saying that this this will be just a, a ripe opportunity post for us to make some dramatic shifts in education. And um, and and you said something that I have agreed with and been frustrated by a little bit is that for for we saw a lot swing back to normal. We, we of course wanted people. They were crying out for normal, and I actually understand that, right? Because of the exhaustion, exhaustion and trauma that COVID created, people want a normalcy. But in the meantime, everything that we learned, um, it felt like it got pushed aside, and we did a, we put a lot of effort into getting back to where we once were. Which, by the way. Even when we were there, we were constantly saying, you know, we need to make some pretty big shifts in education. It's a hard thing to do, and change is hard to do in schools, as you have described. So talk to maybe talk about, you know, what it, what is your current experience as it relates to pushing on a need for change in an environment that sometimes is incredibly resistant to it? Um. My experience when it comes to trying to motivate and 
enact change uh, in education. Um, um, hmm. I can talk about code.org and I can talk about teach AI. Um, there was a time before uh, code.org where the computer science community was tiny and folks like me, uh, just a high school computer science teacher could be part of the national community because the national community was maybe like uh, at most like 50 to 100 people. Uh, I mean, literally, like like people talking to one another uh, about computer science across the U.S. Whole states where there weren't weren't there wasn't a, a state leader or anything like that or a state advocate. So, um, you know, what it took to change that from then to now, uh, it took a cross sector, cross like silo approach where you didn't just like like cross your fingers and hope that other people would uh, do things that would help your cause, you did it. And <laughs> you did it yourself and you created a movement out of it and you brought people together. And sometimes it might be even viewed as heavy handed because you're like trying to set yourself up as a segment leader or something like that. But, but honestly, you can't, um, early on in a movement, you can't just expect that other people will just agree with you and be like, yeah, that's my mission too. And I'm going to dedicate all of my resources and all my time to this. Yeah. You, you, you have to shepherd, you have to act vertically all the way down to the bottom. Uh, like for example, training teachers, but also all the way at the top policy, uh, and you have to bring as many people uh together around this uh, along the way um that's my experience gosh i hate hate sounding like i'm just giving out platitudes jeff about like education <laughs> leadership let, let me try to think of something that actually like pointed uh you know there's um oh gosh well but yeah some something super pointed um uh yeah yeah you have to engage at all levels. I mean, you, you said that, uh, like you have to engage at like, like schmoozing politicians all the way down to creating, you know, curriculum for kindergartners and for them to learn computer science. You have to create the learning platform, the videos and the, uh, the coding environment and the campaign around it. Like you, you like, um, I mean, yeah, that's that's what it takes. You know, it's interesting as so. Um, you know, as a career long educational leader myself, and there have been times that um, I've I've been able to be part of or embrace or you know lead particular changes in systems, and afterwards see some results and feel proud of it. However, if I were to be really really honest with myself and those listening. I can say that at times some of those changes were just um, very incremental, right? They were, um, they were very what I've heard you describe as kind of quick wins. Um, with wins are important, they are important, but also small data gains can actually be dangerous too, because you start hanging your hat on minute gains, say graduation rates, and realize that we move from this percent to this percent, 
And we applaud ourselves as we should, pat ourselves on the back and then move forward. In the meantime, there's many other needs of students as it relates to graduating them into a world that maybe they're not prepared for. And so we have a hard time sometimes making some of the seismic shifts, some of the opportunities for true disruption. And so leading it in our system um, because there are so many layers and it is so sometimes complicated and, you know, let's face it, um, uh, it's, it's turbulent, right? There's lots of politics involved. It is challenging to lead change. So you take something like AI that um, is scary, but also extremely exciting and moving fast. So we better start thinking about how to maybe lead disruption a bit differently, don't you think? Because otherwise, I feel like maybe we may get rolled over as opposed to leading it. I think, yeah, I, you know. know. For, for that, Jeff, for AI, I actually have a very simple thing for the ed leaders listening. Um, if you haven't used any of these tools like ChatGPT, but there are other tools as well, yourself, beyond the parlor trick, to actually create a something relevant to you, hopefully maybe connected to work, but it could be a, a personal passion as well. Let's say you're a rapper, right? You can yeah. use ChatGPT to not just write your lyrics, but like evaluate your lyrics or help you, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, test out different lyrics. But if you haven't done it yourself, that's where you need to start. Uh, don't even worry about reading all the hype on LinkedIn or um blog posts or whatever just just start yourself and if anything if you want to uh, get some help but honestly these tools are so good you just dive into it you're you're going to be okay uh just just really throw stuff at it but if you want help you know look up a prompt library or, or something like that and then use those prompts but frankly folks just need to get more hands-on with it to understand the power and then start learning sharing with other people in your organization, and then going from there. And so maybe maybe that's something we need to talk about a little bit because, you know, even though we know there's so much opportunity here, um, I can't forget, I can't remember the, the percent. You had mentioned the percent of teachers that are actually, um, have either tried it or are paying attention to it. And it was actually a much smaller, um, much smaller percent are actually engaging and attempting than, than not. So maybe we talk, let's talk about maybe some of those first steps to change, not just for the classroom, but also for the principal and superintendent and maybe, you know, organizational leader, you mentioned trying it yourself. What are some of the other steps that you've seen that have created some traction in organizations? Because as you know, there are some, there are some places that are actually getting some traction. Some are, you know, shunning it still, but there are places that are moving. So what are they doing? What are you seeing in terms of some leadership steps, you know, beyond um, dabbling themselves? Yeah, if I was talking to a district superintendent, I would say the first thing you need to do, other than your personal learning, so let's say, get that out of the way. Let's say you, you figured it out or you used it and you understand the power. You've maybe even taken some type of AI 101 course personally. Uh, now you have to uh, get your staff going through the same process and then sharing about it so you know at the next next all staff meeting you know share about your experience share what you've learned give them a demo and then say you know what for the next month i want you all to 
experimented all that. And when we, we come back together, I'm going to expect we're going to get into small groups of four. I'm going to want you to share what you learned, what you did and how it was beneficial, but also some risks that you, um, kind of, uh, some, some risks of the, of the, of the tool per your, your particular, uh, role or your, your aspect in our system. Um, your, your role in our system, your department or whatever, your team. Um, that, that type of organizational learning is super important before that organization, like the district office, decides to put any kind of guidance out to the schools in that district. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. Because then you get into a blind leading the blind uh, situation. Um, and organizational learning is always like a, like a very easy step for folks versus putting out AI guidance, which by the way, I do suggest as the very next step. Okay, so let's let's talk about the order of those because um, you know this this guidance or, or sometimes even guardrails, right? To yeah. a degree, um, we saw leaders, we saw districts, um, a lot of principals right away, early on, say we got to we got to we got to get control of this, right? And so the concerns over you know cheating and a variety of things came up, right? And so quickly. We saw people diving to let's let's control it. Um, what I hear you saying is controlling is important, but also understanding it is too. And the way we understand it is sometimes we embrace it on our own and learn what it is and what it isn't, and try to dispel some of the myths that are probably um, out there. Talk to us about you know maybe the balance of that, right? So it's this kind of tight and loose system that. You know, all leaders are trying to create. I, I, I call it autonomy and fidelity. You want this balance where, you know, you want teachers to have autonomy. You don't want complete fidelity, but you also need to create a system where your people are working together. So um, let, let's talk about that balance for leaders as it relates to rolling out, learning about, and engaging in AI, understandably, that we will make some mistakes along the way, which potentially is okay. I know we don't tend not to think it is, but it probably is a good thing to make a few mistakes along the way, I would assume. Yeah, as long as you learn from them. Um, and they aren't catastrophic mistakes. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> like, of course. <laughs> um, which, which, by the way, can it is a thing when you're dealing with uh, the, the, a, a tech tool or anything related to cybersecurity or privacy, there can be very catastrophic mistakes, not to scare anyone. Um, but, you know, reflecting on last year when lots of school systems were banning things like ChatGPT, and I, when I saw these bans, I was like, that's not the right move. But you know what? If it was, there, there's more nuance to it. If you're banning something new because you don't understand it yet, and you're saying, hey, you know what? We're going to ban it for a little bit of time, but we're going to take the effort, make the effort to learn about this as much as we can as adults in our district office or a state office or whatever. That makes sense. And then coming back to it and saying, okay, now we're ready to engage with it. But a lot of folks just didn't do that. They just banned it and they just banned it. That's it. Like that's right. And then and now they're only circling around to it because now they're hearing that banning it is not the right move. But they still haven't taken the steps towards organizational learning and really figuring things out and putting out guidance. So then they unban it and then they still don't put out guidance <laughs> around how to use it. And that's almost worse. So um 
you, you know, like folks have to realize that you don't have to like, like, uh, there's always incremental steps you can take, um, with, uh, disruptive technologies like generative AI and just AI in general. Um, and, uh, I would say after you get over the organizational learning aspect, um, and leaders feel strong, like principals in the, in the district feel strong, it is the time to put out uh, district-wide or statewide guidance. And we've seen that in four states so far. Uh, Oregon was first, and then California, West Virginia, and just a couple of days ago, North Carolina. Okay. And I guarantee you there are going to be a number of other states who are going to do that because they've taken the time to get an understanding of the landscape themselves, to get beyond the hype, uh, and they feel confident in what they're like in taking the first step and it's guidance, not policy, even like that's, that's even a, a differentiator there, not big P policy, not regs and not hard and fast rules, but guidance. Well, let, let's, let's dispel some hype a little bit, right? So hype can mean a couple of things. It could be, it could, it could lean in the, in the realm of a lot of enthusiasm and excitement that may not be accurate or fears that definitely are not true. What are some, uh, how would, if you wanted to use this to kind of dispel some of the hype around AI, what would you want people to know? Um, for teachers that AI is going to take your job, um, because there is a lot, there are a lot of personalized learning platforms and adaptive tutors and things like that coming out. Um, and folks, I mean, I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to speak for my colleagues out in the field, but I mean, you all know how hard it is to change education. You know how strong unions are, you know, you, and then, and then they're like brick and mortar schools and, you know, you know, the expectations of parents and they're not going to like settle for some robot teaching their kids. So, I mean, look, like that's not the concern. The concern should be like, how do I use this? How, how do I develop my own AI literacy? How do I help my students? How do I, um, you know, uh, help them stay safe when using these tools? Uh, how do I help them understand the societal impacts of these tools? But don't worry about like, you know, some AI thing taking your job. That's like a, I mean, if anything, I don't know. If that was happening, folks, uh, we we would not see it first in education. By the way, we'd see it in in many other sectors first. As soon as those other sectors start getting dominated by like robots doing their jobs, uh, AI robots doing their jobs, then we can start caring about it in education. Well, you say then, uh, but you know, uh, your point you made earlier, us as educators developing our, you know, our AI literacy, the earlier the better, right? So that, so that we can lead as opposed to react. So it, talk to us about the concept of AI literacy. I know that's something that you're very familiar with, right? That dominates probably large parts of your day. Um, but for many of the, the leaders throughout the country and beyond, and even educators in the classroom, they, um, they may be curious about what does that mean? What does AI uh, literacy describe? Yeah, uh, I'll... At the highest levels, AI literacy is how to use AI and understanding how it works. Um, there was a time when computers were introduced into schools, uh, you know, I guess, I think 70s, late 70s, uh, 
was a big push and um, everyone on a computer learned how like the parts of a computer and, and some of them, a lot of people learned how computers work because they were just this new thing. But then really quickly, the, the, the focus became just using the computer and typing on the computer, a lot of typing and keyboarding classes and keyboarding games. And then, then office, uh, productivity software became the focus, all the using, using, and then the internet, just using the internet. People don't know how the internet works. They're just using it, using it, using it. And now we have smartphones, smartphones, which are the ultimate consumption device. And we see kids addicted to it and we see all the mental and social issues connected to all that. Now, if people took the time to understand how these things work, they would be able to make better decisions about the tools themselves. So for example, with AI, a lot of people said use the word hallucination, hallucination, hallucination to, to describe an, uh, the, the output of an AI that is erroneous. Um, and hallucination makes it sound like it's an actual like sentient thing, hallucinating or whatever, <laughs> when, when really it's just, it's, it's, it's the result of the data it was trained on and the algorithms it uses. It's a very, it's a computing process. And the more we, you know, AI literate people don't anthropomorphize AI. Uh, they understand what it actually is. And because of that, they're able to like, uh, understand when to use it and when not to use it, or like what to listen to, what not to listen to and how to be skeptical of it. And actually you should be skeptical of everything it puts out and, why? Because it's not like a search engine. It, it wasn't vetted through humans clicking on a something and humans who actually know the content or anything like that. It's just a very super sophisticated statistical text prediction machine um, or image pixel creation machine. And, and it looks really awesome and it sounds really like natural, but it's, it's, um, it's a machine. So that, that's what that, that's why we need to, that's just one super small example of AI literacy and, uh, and why we need it. I assume through the, the work in progress that, that you're, you're, you're watching, experiencing and leading with Teach AI, um, you're, you're probably seeing some of these fears um, being overcome though, right? I mean, yeah, there has to be this, this sense of hope um, in, in, in your world and you experience it at a much you know higher degree than somebody like me who's just trying to follow and track it because you know you're you're leading in the field so maybe maybe um can you provide some examples or some messages of hope about how people are in fact leaning into this idea of their own ai literacy and some of their fears going by the wayside and maybe even using it in to uh, as a tool in ways they never had imagined before. Um, I actually wanted to, b before I get into that, which is sure. the positive side, Jeff, I want to acknowledge anyone listening who does, who, who you still have fears uh, about AI. And I just want to say that they're legitimate. And um, I, I'm an AI enthusiast and I validate your fears. Uh, it is, it is kind of scary kids are even afraid. I was just reading an interview with two kids from Illinois and one kid was like, I don't know what's going to happen with jobs. And this is a high schooler and let alone all the college students out there who, you know, uh, like 
you know, they're just like, what, what they're jump, they're trying to learn about AI because they know they need to, but they don't know whether the thing that they're majoring in is going to be as important even like two years from now. So it's not even like a five, 10 year thing anymore. It's like literally they see it on the horizon and they're like, what, what's going to happen to my, the career that I was charting. Um, so the fears are very legitimate, but just particular fears like AI is going to take a teacher's job. That's just not so much. Um, then as for getting over it uh, and all and, and, and hope, there are so many great resources out there. I want to shout out ISTE's um, AI uh, literacy course. I want to shout out Code.org's AI videos um, and AI 101 for teachers. I want to shout out, uh, there's this group based out of uh, New York called AI for Education. They have such great free resources and a huge prompt library to allow teachers to experiment with these things like guided experiments. Um, so, you know, how, how are people moving from fear to like really using this for good? They're just self-learning. This AI thing is like the world's largest PD moment ever across multiple sectors. And luckily there is there, there are a lot of people putting out free resources out there, including Teach AI. And, um, people can find it easily in this day and age because of the internet. Whereas when, you know, when other tech things have come about, we didn't have the internet to allow us to just quickly learn things for free and on our own. Do you see, you, you, you've mentioned, you mentioned it just now that you, you might imagine that the impact of AI is gonna hit other fields, maybe harder or faster, or we're gonna see more change um, than we would in education right away. Um, that being the case, um, some of those fears that you've acknowledged, and I, I, I can actually understand, I, I have a daughter in college, she goes to an incredible school, and I asked her, in, you know, with her major, what have they been doing as it relates to learning about AI and some of the tools and potential of those tools being used in the field in which she's studying? And she looked at me blankly. And um, yeah. and this is a this is a very impressive school she goes to and um, no, no not much and yeah. I think and I asked her why do you think that is the case and she said well to be honest she said I actually think there's still a lot of fear not 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 just amongst students but professors about what this yeah. is going to mean for our major uh -huh. um, and you know just a lot of misunderstandings and assumptions and so. Um, I think those fears are valid. I guess my curiosity is uh, how do we as educators, because our job is to prepare students, you know, for the world they're going to graduate into, as opposed mm -hmm. to, right, you know, their future versus our past, right? That famous quote. And so, you know, I'm just constantly thinking, of course, I'm on the balcony, not on the dance floor anymore, but what can we do as educational leaders to just do our best to stay with or get ahead just a little bit so that when some of these fears do become a reality, even if they're not in school, we're preparing students to, um, to, to pivot and navigate like we are supposed to um, in a very complex, fast-moving world. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Jeff, yeah. Jeff, what are you all thinking about uh, What's the? I don't want to say what's the AI strategy at Cognia, but how are you? How are you all thinking about AI per your? I mean, vast portfolio of 
ed- education things, services? Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's the right question. I actually think that, number one, um, I can't pretend to know every nook and cranny of, of Cognia, but I, I think Cognia is reacting very similar to what I see kind of schools reacting. There is a lot of um, kind of wait and see happening. Right. I mean, number one, I don't want to come across as uh, judgmental, but I think, you know, generationally, um, I do think that there's some fear. If I, of course, there are exceptions to every rule, but I do wonder if sometimes, say, me as a middle aged man looking at a tool, wondering if I have the capacity to pick up something that new that fast, if that creates fear and then therefore some distance that I create between me and the tool. That's reflected in surveys, actually, Jeff. I was just reading a survey literally about that. Uh, The IMF just put out an economic forecast and they talked about older folks, where older folks, by the way, were like 45 and up. But I thought, I'm not old. What are you talking about? I'm not. (laughs) But yeah, they were were like 45 and up compared to like, uh, 30-ish year olds and how there was already a difference and, uh, you know, hesitance even from older folks to want to dig in and figure this stuff out. Whereas the other folks have just kind of taken it up. It's their thing. Yeah. And so I see, you know, I look across the landscape at Cognia like we would potentially at schools and at districts. And I, I asked the question of, so are, are, are we prepared? And, if 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 we're not, what can we do as it even relates to engaging other right. generations in our organization? So, you know, yep. we've we've talked with Tim Elmore a lot about a new kind of diversity. This book he's described, where it's looking at, you know, how we embrace generations working together. And I think what an incredible opportunity for us in schools to embrace some of our younger generation teachers and educators to say, help help us lead as opposed to us telling you how it should be or it used to be. Help yeah. us lead this. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really curious about those opportunities in, in Cognia, but also beyond as, as, as well as what's happening in districts. I have an idea, Jeff. Yeah, right now, right now there's a 25 to 35 year old Cognia employee who has been personally experimenting with AI and probably using it on uh, as connected to their work at Cognia. And if they were to present what they've been doing kind of secretly um, to uh, senior leadership, I think it would open senior leadership's eyes. And if they were to uh, get senior leadership to actually engage with the tools themselves, this could lead to a organizational learning effort where there would be that show and tell opportunity and the, you know, org wide effort to kind of figure out personally, just for like employees, like how AI fits into their work. And then you can go from there to the services and different programs that you run. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good idea, Pat, in that, especially I think that when people start experimenting on their own, um, mm-hmm. what, you know, and you're, you're right. I mean, it's actually kind of engaging and fun and, and intuitive when you, when you start messing around with it. But um, in the workplace, it, it can create some really interesting efficiencies. However, those efficiencies can also create a potential threat because if this can do that, what does that mean as it relates to me and my work? So how can, how can we create the environment where it's okay to talk about 
some mm. things, these efficiencies we've created, and therefore, with the extra capacity, what we could do differently and maybe even better of, compared to what we used to do um, in so, a different way, right? Sounds Yeah, sounds like departmental town halls. It sounds like leadership talks where, you know, a leader kind of hosts an open, like a ask me anything or an open door kind of convo with employees uh, just to talk through these issues. Um, it sounds like uh, even org-wide guidance on the use of AI, let alone, you know, again, connecting to any of your external stakeholders. It's just like even employees understanding, hey, yeah, it's cool to use AI. It's uh, And here are examples that we've learned um, ourselves that we want to share with you. I think that'd be kind of cool. I assume this, you know, kind of turning the tables uh, that you did very strategically, this Jedi mind trick you just played on me. That, but that that concept as it relates to working with organizations, um, you, you probably find extremely helpful, right? Because, as as you know, there there are some really really innovative people in almost every organization, and sometimes they have the ear of leadership, and sometimes they don't, right? Yeah. And so, what I hear you saying is as leaders, let's find an avenue for very safe discourse with our people as it relates to innovative tools and practices. And you came up with that, Jeff. I, that wasn't a Jedi mind trick. You you came up with the discourse idea. I, <laughs> I'm actually going to steal that, Jeff, because usually my, my stick is uh, show and tell, demo, kind of very like teacher PD-like, right? But you're just talking about just having open, frank discussions with employees of, about AI use and answering the questions and hearing their fears, even just listening sessions. I think that's a, that's an even easier step. Well, we'll, we'll write an article and we can say that, that people heard it here first, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Pat, here's, here's kind of our, one of this, this famous last question that, that we ask our guests, you know, most of our processes in the leadership circle are, are not um, pushing content to them. This is actually the one thing we do. The leader chat is about how we take a, a really important topic. We find experts like yourself to talk about it with us and create this very digestible, pragmatic content for our leaders because we know how busy and challenged they are. Most of the things we do, however, are about circling them up around a table, right? And it's where we put the problem in the middle of the table and then we create protocols that are around tapping the collective wisdom of other leaders to try to get at solutions to the, to the dilemma. But if you and I, if you were to pretend like we're around this table and with us are principals, central office administrators, superintendents, board members, whatever that may be, what would be kind of, as it relates to this topic, leading AI as opposed to just reacting in fear, what would you want to be kind of your final words of wisdom, kind of an elevator speech on, this is what I would want to leave you with. What would you say to them? I would say we got we got into the education game because we wanted to change students' lives. And a lot of us have these wonderful ideas, many of them evidence-backed, back, and uh, they existed for a while that we've wanted to scale, but haven't had the engine or opportunity. AI is that engine. And this big AI moment that we're having right now as a world is that opportunity for you to um, re-engage with those super awesome um, evidence-based reforms that you've always been 
advocating for and just re-engage and supercharge them. If it's been project-based learning or real-world learning, micro schools, um, uh, you know, I could go, you know, social emotional learning, um, getting beyond multiple choice and other things and moving on towards more authentic assessments. I mean, there's so many things that uh, people have been pushing for many years. If it's any of those things, just know that AI actually can be, could be, it depends on the idea, the engine that you need it to, to scale that idea in a, a totally new way. So really, really, you know, um, this, this is an opportunity folks. And, um, it starts with you learning yourself first. Well, Pat, I, I want to say, of course, thank you for this time, but um, my hope is that this is not the last time our paths cross. My, I will be um, as intentional as possible not to, to bug or nag you in the future with things that come back, because sometimes we put out this content and then we get questions and curiosities. Um, and, and so I'll make sure to, if I have something for you, not to just you know, bombard your email on a daily basis. But um, I find myself learning just by talking with you and researching in preparation for this conversation, which just, which means that other people are learning alongside of us. So I appreciate your your wisdom and all the work that you're doing throughout the country and beyond. It's, uh, you truly have expanded your sphere of influence and your parents should be proud. Oh, thanks, Jeff. And, right. and uh, I hope this was helpful to your audience. And um and for please forgive me, audience, if I if I just if anything I said was just in the category of hype and platitudes. I I I hate that. I want, I like to be as practical as possible. But if I got into any of that, audience, please forgive me. No, Pat, you're actually you're 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 exactly the opposite. I, I found you to be really really honest. I thought you were doing your best to try to um, you know kind of pad that to a degree. Um, so I I think it was great. So thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's true. Um, Pat had asked me last week whether I knew about code.org. Um, I had. Uh, I remember back, you know, from when I was in, in your seat as a leader. But I have to be honest, I didn't know what I know now. So over the past week of just learning about it, and specifically what they're doing as, re as relates to Teach AI, um, it's been fascinating. This, this, this conversation is going to grow. This, is, this can't be the first time we talk about it, even though it was the first time. So um, ladies and gentlemen, leaders, teachers, I wanna thank you for your ongoing noble work. Anything we can do to help provide support for you, that is ultimately our goal. Ladies and gentlemen, be well.